Pasuk B'divrei Torah. Amen. So, we are at the very end of the book of Exodus today, which is always exciting to be finishing a book of the Torah. And we've been moving through, obviously, the Exodus. Um, and we're in the portion called Piku Day, uh, which starts... I don't think we're going to start at the very beginning today, but it starts on page 628. And as I'm sure you remember, what's been going on for a while, for several Torah portions, is this big project of building the tabernacle. Right? So, you know, so one of the, the big questions that comes up is Passover. Right? We have this Pesach holiday, and of course it's about liberation and freedom and es- escaping slavery. Um, but part of the, the sort of subtle question is, well, okay, so you're free, but what's the point of that? Um, so we think of Exodus, sometimes the word Exodus, as the escape, but really it's more than that, right? The escape was just part one of the Exodus. The Exodus continues with getting into the desert, getting to Mount Sinai to receive you know, these instructions about how to live life from God, and then ultimately this big project of building the tabernacle, because really sort of in the Jewish mind, the point of getting free was this, right? And if you might even remember back in the early part of the Exodus, when, when you know, they're going to Pharaoh to say, let my people go, they don't remember what they're really asking, at least from the start. To go in the desert and pray to their God in their way. Right, right. It, it wasn't just let us go free. It was let us go out into the wilderness so that we can, you know, communicate, pray with our God. You know, that was the point. Freedom itself isn't necessarily um, the end goal. It's to be able to do something with it. So here we finally have the end of that. And so we're going to look a little bit about how this ends, right? Because this is going to now shift us into the next part of the Torah, which becomes how do we take this relationship that now we have and do something with it. So, like I said, the beginning of the Torah portion is still kind of finishing the process of the tabernacle, and there's a lot of listing of the details again, you know, exactly what piece is used, and the sockets and enclosures, and which yarns, and it's, it, it's incredible detail, um, but I think we should jump ahead just a little bit, because um, you know, we do so much of reading a, you know, kind of a phone book list of materials. So, if we could turn to page 632... The top here is chapter 40. <clears throat> so is there someone who might like to read a little bit for us? And actually start one verse before that, at the top of the page, verse 43 at the end of the last. So this is the end of all the work of building the tabernacle. And then at the top of the page, you'll see verse 43. If you could start there. 43? Yeah, 43. verse 43. It's 42. 42. No, it's 43, 42. the last. Yeah. Hey, you can just start sentence. at 43. Yeah. Well, I don't know where 43 is. So start at 42, that's fine. Okay. Um, just as the Eternal had commanded Moses, so the Israelites had done all the work, and when Moses saw that they had performed all the tasks as the Eternal had commanded, so they had done. Moses blessed them. Okay. So the first thing is that that's the end of the building project, right? It's literally this long thing. It ends. And so how does the building project end? With a blessing. With a blessing, right? Which might seem 
natural, I don't know, you know, to you, but it's one of these little subtle reminders for us that, again, the, the point of this project is that everything that we do, everything we're given, every opportunity we have, the projects we do, somehow we're, we're supposed to, as Jews, view them in the context of blessing, right? Which means there's a connection to God, there's a connection to greater purpose, nothing is just random. So even here, this big project, it, it again, it seems simple, but it ends with this little blessing. It doesn't tell us what the blessing is, but it makes a point of saying Moses blessed the people for completing this project. Okay. So keep going a little okay. bit. And the Eternal One spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month, you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meetings. Place there the ark of the path and screen off the ark with the curtains. Bring in the table and lay out its due setting. Bring in the lampstand and light its lamps and place the gold altar of incense before the ark of the pact. Then put up the screen for the entrance of the tabernacle. Do you want me to keep yeah, going? a little more. Uh, you shall place the altar of burnt offerings before the entrance of the tabernacle, of the tent of the meetings. Place the labor, labor between the tent of the meetings and the altar, and put water in it. Set up the enclosure around about, and put in place the screen for the gate of the enclosure. Uh, you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in in it to consecrate it all its furnishings so that it shall be holy. <coughs> then anoint the altar of burnt offerings and all its utensils to consecrate the altar so that the altar shall be most holy and anoint the labor and its stand to consecrate it. Great. So, if you'd like, um, if you want to turn back to page 544, you can like keep a hand on this page, but turn back. There's an illustration here, just because, you know, it, it sort of describes all that, mm -hmm. but it, it's hard to, to get an image in your mind of what this looks like. But if you look here, this shows the layout of the tabernacle. So you can see there's this, you know, it's a large area. On the right side over there, you have the entrance, right? So you've got the entrance, and then what is the, the main area there? The hole, your clothes. Well, so, right, so further in, so if you enter, right, when you first enter, what do you see? Let me put it that way. The altar. The altar. Right. The altar, so that that's the first thing, which is obviously important. So and, and just so we're clear, what is the altar? But it's for sacrifice. Right. So that that's the place, right? The altar, you know, is this big area with the fire where the sacrifice actually happens, <coughs> right? So part of this is the reason that's closer to the entrance is because who who does the sacrifice? Who physically? The does the sacrifice the priests right so again and does anyone know what what the word priest sort of means like, like what is a priest 
calling. <laughs> Good, yes, but but what is a priest? Like, if you were gonna, you know, if somebody didn't know, you know, oh, there's there's a priest in there. You know, what, what is a priest? How how would you describe what a priest is? A special functionary. Special functionary, good, but anything more than that? Holy. holy. Okay, holy. What are the three? What are the three words? Of, what are the three letters of the source that we? Well, well, in function is kind of what I mean. So, so, or let me put it this way: How does a priest function differently than someone who's not a priest? There's certain roles that only they can do. Like exactly. Once a year, they can. They're the only ones that can go into this holy of holies room. Well, so we'll come back to that okay. in a minute. But, but, right? There's a and special they, role they for them. God. There we go. They right. God to the people. Right. So a priest, if you think about it, is an intermediary, yeah. right? Which is in the, in the ancient religion, right? in this form of religion, we have priests because we as individuals are not connected directly to God. Okay. Right? Now, so they, on. but hold on a second. Okay. Well, don't worry, we'll have time. But <laughs> I just want to get it out first. Okay. So, so the way we communicated with God was through the sacrifices, Right. So in the old system that we didn't have prayers, we didn't have a service, right? The things that we think of, we had sacrifice. And the whole thing, when they describe it of the you know, smoke going up to heaven, right? They looked at that as a, as a direct connection. It was literally, here we are doing this thing and the smoke going up was a connection to God. So we could have a sacrifice for thanks, for please, I need something, for I did something wrong, right? Lots of different sacrifices, but that was the form of communication with God, except we didn't do it, right? The priests were the ones who would go and literally take whatever the thing was, whether it was an animal or grain or something, put it on the altar and burn it, right? So they were an intermediary between us and God. I want to say thank you, so I take my, you know, little chicken, let's say, bring it to the priest, they bring it in here and put it on the altar, right? So an intermediary. So today, right? Think of today. In Judaism, do we have priests? No. 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 Right? We Are there still temple, priests? So we don't need them. Yes, yes. But, but more than that, do, do, does anyone else have priests? Maybe both Catholics. Yeah. Okay, right. So there are certain sects within Christianity that still call their leaders priests, right? Catholics, of course, the prime one you'd think of. Episcopals are priests, right? And the, the reason they took that word is because in their theology, they still function between a person and God, right? The priest role is to be there to directly interact with God instead of the person. And for us, exactly, we don't have priests anymore, which is, yes, because there's no temple, but more broadly, what happened really, if you think about the development of Judaism, is that we eventually got to a place where we didn't need or want someone between us and God. Theology changed, there were no sacrifices. Exactly. So. Yeah. Well, practice changed and theology, right? Again, it wasn't just they didn't have a job. I think it was also the way we look at ourselves. Because again, today, a rabbi, right? I'm no closer to God than anyone else. I can't say anything to God that you can't. Right? Rabbis have a lot of roles, and we do things, and we have education and training, and there's lots of things we do, but it's not because someone else doesn't have a direct relationship with God. Right? There's a big difference theologically. So here, if you look at this setting, right, generally the people weren't the ones going in to do this. 
So this outer area, when you first enter the tabernacle, the reason you see the altar here is because that's what everyone else needed to be able to see, right? If I'm bringing a sacrifice, I want to see, okay, there it was put on, it went up there, I did my part, you know, for God, because I don't get to do it myself. Um, do you think there's also a practical reason that it's near the entrance, so the doors can be open and the smoke and the smell and everything can go out, rather than a total enclosure where you're trapping all the, mm -hmm. the smoke and the odors mm -hmm. and all that? So it's really a practical reason too, I think. Now, so, so it's an interesting question because obviously you can't tell, this is, you know, just a, like an overview look, but I don't think this had a top That's on that part, right? right? It, it's, so if it rains, <coughs> everything gets wet. I mean, the, the tabernacle gets wet, so it must have had some kind of a covering. Well, it's, so the purpose, it washed away all the blood. That too, right. So it's a good, so I'm not sure, but I, I, mean, I, I think of that, well, because when you see, you know, like other illustrations I've seen, mm -hmm. you know, when you see kind of the altar with the, you know, the fire that's, that's burning, uh, you know, I, the other ways I've seen is that's more open, right? It, it's open to the sky. Mm -hmm. So it might be that part of this is covered and part is open. I'm not sure, but, mm -hmm. um, but there might be other practical reasons. And, and part of it might be, you know, it's, it's heavy to bring a bull in there. You, know, you probably don't want to drag it as far. So it, you're right. So it's closer to the entrance, maybe. That's probably part of it. Yeah. I forgot. What was the function of the laver? So, so the laver is essentially for cleaning their hands, right? That's so. So that there is is more at the entrance to the the next part, right? It's used also related to the burnt offering because the priests do a whole ritual in between and all that. But this is also there between the altar and the, the rest of this, because that's what they need to use to enter the next part, which yeah. we'll come back to in a minute. Here they say tabernacle or tent. So a tent is always covered, isn't it? I mean, when you make a tent, it's... But you might have, you know, a tent oh, with a courtyard, or with a, you know... Tent of meetings. Yeah. Look at how they describe Mishkan is the tent is, is half is covered. Now, now part of what is, is confusing, to be honest, is that... so. The word tabernacle is the one we use for this, right? That's the, this is the mishkan, or the tabernacle. But we know the phrase tent of meeting, which, which sometimes feels like it's used interchangeably, but it, it isn't. I mean, there's, a, there, there's a, another thing that's the tent of meeting, because that was more the gathering place, different. This was the ritual place. So, you know, tabernacle or tent... They probably are saying this because some places, you know, it talks about putting up the tent or the tent of the tabernacle, um, but but this area generally is the tabernacle. Oh. Uh, so the people were, I mean, the congregation, where were they sitting in the tent of meetings, watching all this? Or? So this this whole place was for the priests. Okay. But at, again, at the entrance, they could they would come up, bring their their item, okay. and then they could see that altar part. Now you see in the middle there, it says curtain, Yeah. right? So, so that second half, which is why I said, when you walk in the entrance, what do you see? You see the altar and the labor, but really that's it. Then there's this curtain and what's behind there is, is really just ritual for the, for the priests and some for the high priest. We'll come back to that in a second. Um, something that personally upset me, obviously, because a lot of times they do a lot of interfaith things and sometimes I'm the only Jew there and when people ask me well you know what is different about Judaism I mentioned three things uh -huh. okay 
And one of them is that we talk directly to God. And then I'll somebody say, some people ask, what's a rabbi? And I say, he is a teacher. He's very knowledgeable. And he can point us to spots in the Torah or the, you know, the Old Testament, what they call the Old Testament. So when you said that, but I always thought it was originally <coughs> looked at that way, that we talk directly to God. Way back when we first started, we well, had I the think priest to do the burnt offerings. It was done directly, but we talked always to God from day one. Well, so I, th I think you're, I think there's two issues. So, so you might be reacting to, you know, if you think about earlier, right? You know, think about, you know, Abraham and and all the early people or Jake. You know, Jacob. they have these right direct communications. Right, but and that's more in the realm of prophecy. You know, think of it that way. So there was a time where there was, uh, you know, prophecy, meaning there were people who who more directly had a, a connection and could be a mouthpiece for God, which eventually stopped. But then, separate from that, there was the the ritual component, meaning when we want to communicate with God in terms of of all these different things again things we do wrong, things we need, all that, it was, it was through this, through the priests. So people weren't doing that directly. Right? So it is a little confusing because some people seem to be talking to God in here. But yeah, because I always thought that was one of the great things about Judaism, we're all equal. You know, Moses was no, you know, other than Gabriel or somebody like that who got sent as a messenger, but we were all equal. Um, Different but, roles, but all equal. But, but, but we weren't. To be honest, and, and and part of it is that no, no, but but I think but you're right that that is, that is Judaism, and it's been Judaism for thousands of years. It's some people, and I know this this is a strong statement, maybe, but some people suggest that biblical Judaism is a different religion than what we think of as Judaism. I, I wouldn't go that far, by the way, but some scholars exactly right when essentially when the second temple was destroyed and when the religion was completely reformed in the Talmud and with everything from prayer to rituals, all of this, right, some scholars would say it was literally a different religion. I, I think that's a little too much because for obvious reasons, but the point is you're right about what Judaism is and has been for a long, long time, but if you really read the, the early text like this, it, it wasn't like that. I mean, Moses had a direct relationship that any, no one else did, right? Moses could go places other people couldn't. The priests could go in here other people couldn't, right? They did this in place of other people. So I, it, it, it isn't, like I said, I don't think you're wrong. Like you're right in what Judaism is, but it, it evolved, which, which by the way, I think is, is a good thing, right? So, so again, one of the big picture critiques of certain religions, and I, I don't want to, forgive me, I don't want to go down this path too far, but... Christianity went through a reformation, right? When Martin Luther nailed the, his 95 theses up to the door of the church, it was a break, right? They, they had to literally reform the church, and before that, it had just followed a sort of a single path. Judaism went through a major renovation, right? When the second temple fell, it, it completely changed. Some people will say, these days, one of the difficulties is the other major um, Abrahamic faith, Islam, has never gone through a, a reform like that, right? There are different sects within Islam, but there's never been that kind of break where the religion has had to reckon with 
we, we can't be the way we always were, there needs to be big change. So I think, there's, I think it's healthy for religion even to evolve over time, and this is one of those ways. It, it's really different than this, and part of that is when we look back at this, we don't read this as, how am I supposed to go into this tabernacle? Right? We read this about, what are the messages here? What's the symbolism? How can it apply to me? Because we don't live this way, and, and that's okay, I think. But before Moses, we did, people did have direct relationships. So so here's the question. So yes, at least some people did, but we don't really read about, you know, the folk, right? We, we don't read much about general people. Well, Abraham did, and Jacob certainly did, and Joseph did, and you know, Hannah did. I, I mean, there right there are people who have these, but part of the, but that's why I said I think that's more about prophecy than it is about how we generally relate to God. And by the way, we could be wrong, we just don't have the record, right? We, we don't get the records of Joe Schmo, who lived down there, and what he did. We have the, we have the names of these, these big people, so it's not clear if we can extrapolate from them and say, oh yeah, you know, people communicated with God this way. Maybe that's true, but we don't know that. All we know is that there's certain people who had that kind of relationship. Yeah, but even the time of the temple, there were people who had their own little temples out in the hills because they didn't come every week to, to Jerusalem. However, so there were a lot of little well, things the, up going on but all around. It's not not quite true. So so when the temple so again, we get to Israel, Solomon builds the temple, right? When we have the temple in Jerusalem, it was the temple. It's the only temple. In the desert, the tabernacle was the only place that this could happen. It's the, literally the only place you could sacrifice to God. And when the temple stood, that was the only place. So it wasn't weekly. Right? Shabbat, there's, if you read the Torah, there's no Shabbat sacrifice. Right? Which is interesting because we think of Shabbat as primary, and it is. But Shabbat is about a day of rest, and it's about certain things you can and can't do. Right? So the sacrifices... A, were held on the special occasions, like the holidays, right? There was a Passover sacrifice and a Sukkot sacrifice, right? Those holidays were marked by that. So certain times of year, which, what's the other name for those festivals? Anyone, like, more kind of an ancient way? They're pilgrimage festivals, right? We don't think of, of Jews as, like, pilgrimage, but, but the three festivals, Sukkot, Pesach, and Shavuot, are the pilgrimage festivals because... Yes, people went to Jerusalem to do the sacrifice at those times, and not necessarily every time, because people couldn't afford it. A lot of people couldn't afford it. You know, not only the time, but they maybe didn't have all these animals, right? They I mean, they accommodate so many. Too. Sure, right. So, so there were those pilgrimages and special occasions. Again, if if you were doing a a sin offering for something, you you might have a need to go down there or, or big things like that, um, and. Um, it, so people did travel a far away, you know, the, the area was spread out, but this was where that happened. Eventually, and I think what you're referring to is, eventually you started to have the rise of what we would call synagogues, like a, a Beit Knesset, right, a place of gathering. And they weren't really temples, but they were places that people would gather for other kinds of special moments or rituals, but they weren't, they weren't this. 
right? The, what there was, by the way, at one point is in the north of Israel. So remember, like after Solomon, the kingdom kind of split. We had the north and the south. So one of the controversies was that, you know, they would build a temple in the north, which was kind of competing with the temple in Jerusalem. And that, that's more in like the books of the prophets. Um, and that's some of the difficult stuff because, you know, it wasn't clear. And, you know, some people in the south said that they were, you know, rebels and heretics and if you've heard the term Jezebel right what what's a Jezebel right? it's not a nice name right but it, but it was a woman who who was sort of a priestess in the north you know and so well and that's sort of the, the bad way of looking at her right I mean in the north she was considered a holy woman and she she did things but you know but Je, the right if you hear Jezebel like pop in pop right that, that's not a nice name for someone because she was competing with the temple, essentially. Isn't the name synagogue Greek? Yes. And because... Uh, but, but, the, but it's Greek for gathering. Yeah. And, and the Hebrew, Beit Knesset, which is a synagogue, mm-hmm. Beit Knesset is literally a house of gathering. Okay. So that's why synagogue. Okay. It, it's, it's the same word in Greek, exactly. They also had, the, like, they followed the Leohapta, it says you have to say something in the morning and in the, and when you're going and in the evening. So they had these sessions where the individual was giving prayers and repeating things. Ex- ex- what well, yes, except there wasn't there wasn't there wasn't any kind of a prayer service yet. I mean so for example, the words of Vehafta Come from the Torah, right? Shema is in here, Vehafta, but it wasn't used as ritual yet. So after the destruction of the temple is when they pulled the words out and okay. said, and "This would make a good prayer." Okay. Right? So okay. it's not in here as a prayer. Right? Ah. The Shema in the Torah isn't the Shema with the way we use it. Someone later said, "This would make a great prayer," mm-hmm. so they took it out. Oh, Same thing with it. the Vehafta. Okay. Ah. So again, that that's the shift is. Some of that's in here, but it wasn't used that way because they had this. Thank you. Sure. So, so again, just look at the picture for a moment. So that outer area is all about the sacrifices. Then you have the curtain, and then you have this inner area. Right? So this then is where it gets more complicated. And, of course, you see the dark area there is the Holy of Holies. And inside the Holy of Holies, of course, is the Ark, right? which, which was the container for... Tadat. Right, the, the tablets, right? The tablets from Moses. So, so why is it called the Holy of Holies? Do you have any idea what that means? I mean, it sounds like it's really special, but... Yeah, it does. But does it mean anything else? Or if you hear the well, word holy... directly from God. Yeah. Great. So, the holy is as you get. So, so, so that's one, right? So when we think of holy, I think that's the first thing most people would think of. It's connected to God, right? There's that. But the word holy in Hebrew, kadosh, right? kadosh or kedushah is holiness. The literal meaning of the term is something that's separated for a purpose, something separate from other things. So the holy of holies is an area that is separate from other areas. It's only for God. Only for God and one other person only. The priest. The priest. Not one just priest. No, the head priest. The high priest, right? So out here, the altar is sort of for all of us. We don't do the sacrifices, but that, that's for us, right? That's where our communication to God goes. 
Other side of the curtain is for the priests only, right? That's where they do some of their specific job. But then that inner square there, the Holy of Holies, only the high priest can go in there and only one day a year, which of course is what day? Yom Kippur, right? One day a year, the, the high priest can go in there. It's the only time it's used. It, this, this place is considered so separate and so holy that there's no other purpose for it except for one time a year to go in there and have a ritual, which by the way, we hear about every year on Yom Kippur. It's part of what we read. Right, there's that part of the service when we say, you know, the, the, the ritual started at dawn, right? The high priest wakes up and puts on his vestments, and first he says a blessing for you know, himself and his family, and then the community, and then eventually goes into the Holy of Holies, and it kind of describes it, right? We hold on to that, not that we do it, but as a, as a memory of what this time was about. So that nobody really got to see. And again, the reason why um, the Holy of Holies existed was to hold the Ark of the Covenant, which was important not only because it was, you know, this great thing, I mean, the tablets, but because they were dangerous. They were dangerous. So think back for a minute to the receiving of the Ten Commandments. So I don't know if you remember kind of the scene, but just before the giving of the Ten Commandments, the people are all told, come to the mountain, right, Mount Sinai, and if, if you remember, we always talk about how we stood at Mount Sinai. Right? The whole people was standing around the mountain, but they were told, you can't touch the mountain. You can't even touch Mount Sinai or you could die. Right? So they were assembled, but you couldn't even touch the mountain because of what was happening there. God's presence has this, this element of danger to it, which, which if you, you know, I think the easiest way to think about it is like electricity. Electricity is a good thing. Right? We use it for all kinds of important things, but you don't want to grab onto it. Right? Too much electricity or electricity out of control could harm you. And it's sort of the same with this presence. So these tablets, and so um, uh, what, was, what was the movie with Harrison Ford? Um, Lost Ark. Right. Raiders uh, Ra thank you. Raiders of the Lost Ark. I can't believe I forgot that. So <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark, any, anyone see that? It's a great movie, but part of what happens, right, is that they have the, they find the ark is the whole point. But if you remember when those you know Nazi guys mm -hmm. try to take it, and one of them, of course, is all flesh with power, and he thinks I've got the tablets. This is going to give me, you know, eternal power. So he opens the ark, and do you remember what happens? No. Yeah, I mean, this whole scene, right, is, is this terrible, terrifying scene. He because, yeah, the, the Nazi guy, <laughs> Harrison Ford character, and, and the woman, um, he says to her, you know, close your eyes, right? Yeah. Which, is, which reflects this, because there's this idea that you can't look directly at God and survive. So, you know, Harrison Ford says, don't, you know, don't do anything, don't open your eyes, you know, stay here. The, the Nazi guy opens the thing, and this something, you know, this spirit comes out and, you know, just melts them all. It's just too, it's too dangerous, right? Which is, which comes sort of from here. I mean, it doesn't describe that in here. There's no, nothing like that. But the idea that we're supposed to stay a little bit away from this is in here. We want the ark and we want the tablets with us, but not too close. So there's this area, you know, don't go in there. In addition, today, so, so today in Jerusalem, so what is the, the Western Wall? It's the, it's not the part of the temple at all. Right. It's like the barrier or... It's the retaining wall. Yeah. Right? So, so the temple was a big, huge building. So 
ancient architecture, they, they first had to build retaining walls to hold all the dirt in, essentially. Right? If you're going to build a big structure, right, today we have, you know, cement and poles and, and all. I didn't have that. So you had a retaining wall that then you could hold in the area, build your temple on top of it. So, right, that's one of the outer walls. Um, do we know where the actual temple was inside there? No. We know the area, but essentially if you're standing, if you can picture facing the wall, you know, on the other side of it, that's where the temple was. We don't know exactly where. Um, about 1400 years, 1300 years ago, some people thought they knew where the temple was. And so they did something at that spot. <coughs> Anyone know what they did? Right, they built the Dome of the Rock. Right? So we don't know that for sure, but the early Muslims believed that that was the site of the temple, which is why they put the Dome of the Rock there. It was specifically meant to say this was this spot of holiness, and we're now, you know, kind of replacing that. Right, we're we're going on top of that. Which again, forget the on top of part, but they they thought that's where it was. We don't know that for sure. What we do know is that the whole area that's called the Temple Mount which is that whole area up there. Somewhere in there. That was where the temple was, which is why to this day, Orthodox Jews will not go up there. Not because of the mosque, and not because they're not allowed, although sometimes there are restrictions, but they won't go up there because we don't know exactly where the temple was, which means, more importantly, we don't know exactly where the Holy of Holies was. And they don't want to accidentally step foot on top of the Holy of Holies, which would be considered a, a terrible sin. Right? We're not allowed to go there. So because we don't know where this is, we don't even, some we, we don't even go up to that Temple Mount. The equivalent of if we were, you know, in an area where the tabernacle was, some Jews wouldn't want to go near it because we don't know where that was. Because again, both that's, you know, a holy thing and it's a little dangerous, right? It'd be bad for us. I just hit one question about the smoke that we're sending with the, the sacrifice Same up to sorry. God. Is it, can I make this connection that God sometimes would send down a cloud so that we would know where to uh, put our tents and stuff like that, that this was a, a good place, a safe place or something? Great, so, so hold that thought for one second. So just before we get to that, I just wanna know any other either yes. thoughts or questions about question. this. Um, okay. There's a symbol saying north, okay? Somewhere in there, there must have been directions as in the directions, those minutia that you were talking about, must have said which direction and everything. But um, it looks like if you look at it east, the priest would have been standing back here so that he was facing you know, the altar and then, you know, then facing the people. So is that why we pray to the east? The thing is aimed Similar, but... Does anyone know why why do we face east when we pray? But sort of, not really Jerusalem. Temple itself. Right. So it's this again. Okay. Right? The the point of Jerusalem is that Jerusalem is where Mount Moriah is. Mount Moriah is where the temple was. The temple was where the Holy of Holies was. So really, the point is is this. Right. We're supposed to face this, which means, by the way, we think east, of course. But if you are a Jew living in um, Johannesburg, South Africa, which way do you face? North. North, right? If you're in China, you face west, west right? So, mm. so we, it's facing Jerusalem, but again, really it's facing this. 
So, by the way, if you're in Jerusalem, same thing. Depending where you are in the city, you you're aligned toward the, the Kotel, toward, toward the Western Wall. So even in Jerusalem, you, you have to face a certain direction, and synagogues will be aligned, or, or in Israel, they'll be aligned in that direction. The Muslims have the same situation. Similar, but... Uh, uh, I, I, they fade towards Mecca, right. and they don't... They, they want to face, face the accent. Right, and, and I don't know if it's the exact same idea, um, but, I, but they do face that direction. So now that we know north is true, so the western wall is what is left. So then we can see where what we're looking at. That's smart. I didn't even think about that. That's the closest to the holy of holies on that side. Well, but but don't forget, this is the tabernacle, not the temple. But still, the tabernacle is on top of the mound that is the western wall. No, The, the, the tabernacle specifically was in the desert. Right. This was the portable tabernacle of the desert. So, they, they, so, so that's a good question. Right? I didn't think of it that way. When, when Solomon built his temple, it was a completely new building. It wasn't making a space for this. Right? This tabernacle was just for the, you know, through the desert, and then the temple was something different. So um, there are other places that talk a little bit more about the temple, but it's not this diagram, right? It, and either it, it could be similar, like it might be layout-wise, I'm not sure, honestly, but this is specifically the tabernacle, and the temple was different. I have another question. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't remember now when we read it, the table for bread of display. Uh, what is meant by that? So, so part of the ritual, so again, they had ritual around this, some of which was specifically about the sacrifice and some of which was other times. So they had this, it was called sometimes the show bread, show, yeah, the show right, the show bread, bread, bread mm-hmm. which was part of that ritual. So they used S-H-E-W bread as a... S-H-E-W bread. It was S-H-E-W bread. Which I've seen that also. Um, I, I'd have to look more into that. I don't know exactly where that comes from or, or what that indicates, except that it, it was part of the ritual. You know, they had a ritual for the washing, a ritual f- with the bread, with the incense, you know, they had the, the menorah, essentially. Um, so it was part of that, but I, I'd have to look into more exactly how they used it. But if the clergy was going to eat the meat of the sacrifice, where were they doing it? Or maybe it's on the table for the showbread. No, they, they didn't do that in here. They would take that out. out. So they, they, didn't, they didn't live in here. Right? They, had, they had other spaces. But you're right, part of what would happen is so, so the, the Levites right, didn't have land of their own, and they didn't have, they, they didn't grow, they didn't have animals, they didn't have salaries. So really, part of the sacrifice is when you would bring an animal to, to be sacrificed, and, and really, I've said this before, but you think of it almost like a barbecue. You know, and that's part of it, is some sacrifices, only some of them would completely burn up the object, and it says that, but most of them didn't. Most of them put it on there, there was smoke up to heaven, and then take it, and honestly, some of it was food for the priests. Some of it would also go back to the people, like the Passover sacrifice. You know, part of it was you'd bring your sacrifice, and then you'd have your Passover feast. I mean, that was before there was a Seder, there was a a feast part, but it was about the sacrifice, but some of that went to the priests. But it wasn't in here. They would would, um, take that to wherever they had their tent set up. Um, Any other quick Thoughts on this? Well, this, in the sinners, 
first inner one where they have the menorah and they have the uh, bread and the incense altar. This is like the Shabbos table. Yeah. They got the lights, you know, the candles that burning and the bread. And instead of the incense, I guess we have wine now. <laughs> but yeah, I could see that, right? I mean, the, the wine is sweet and incense is sweet. But yeah, no, I think that's... It's necessary for the smell. Right, right. I don't even want to imagine. <laughs> but you're right, and people do make that comparison, right? And, and some of that's on purpose, right? I mean, I mean the challah does directly go back to this. There's a reason for this, and part of it was, again, when this all went away, people still needed it. Right? Wait a minute, what do, you, what do you mean we don't have this stuff anymore? This is, this is what we do, so the brilliant you know, people who set up the new system did a lot of things to directly connect to what used to be. We used to stand here. People used to go on their tiptoes at these certain moments and face this direction and have these objects. I mean, really, it was meant to say to people, this is really the same, even though it's entirely different. So I think you're, you're right. So let's fast forward a little bit and let's turn to... Yeah. We just read, he refers to the Ark of the Pact mm-hmm. instead of Ark of the Covenant. Is there a reason that they changed the translation there? Um, you know, in 340, yeah. number 3. Also 5. They placed the Ark of the Pact and then the Ark of the Pact. Is there a reason that they don't say Ark of the Covenant? Because before this. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I think of them a little interchangeably. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, when they say the Ark of the Pact, they mean, you know, the tablets. That, that's the, the Pact. Um, the Covenant, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that's, if there's, you know, if there's a rhyme and reason to that or if there's... Um, well, the Covenant and the Pact is the same thing. Right, so I don't so know language-wise why. why. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not sure. But let's... let's um, Let's skip over to the end of the Torah portion. So this is page 634. And again, this is not only the end of the Torah portion, but the end of the whole book of Exodus. So we're going to have a fun job at the end of this. Yep, don't want to miss that. But let's, um, would someone someone else want to read a little bit for us? Interested? Carol? So will you start? um, So there's like, I know it's in the middle of a, a, a sentence, or in the middle of a, a verse, but will you start at the bottom paragraph there? No, this is page 634. Yeah, so this is... 28 or 29? The, the bottom paragraph. 30. So it's in the middle of verse 33, but... Yeah, okay. but this is when the... Moses had finished yeah. the work. Uh, the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the presence of the eternal filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it, and the presence of the eternal filled the tabernacle. When the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, the Israelites would set out on their various journeys. But if the cloud did not lift, they would not set out until such time as it did lift. For over the tabernacle, a cloud of the eternal rested by day, and fire would appear in the cloud by night, in the view of all the house of Israel throughout their journeys. So here's here's the big finale. So obviously this this is what you were referencing, right? <laughs> right. Well, or look, who knows? I mean, you've read this before. Maybe somewhere in your mind, yeah, it, you know, right? Sometimes we, we don't yeah. 
quite remember, but we do. Yes. And obviously for you, you have this image somehow of this cloud yeah. going on. So, so what do you, what's going on here? Or, or what do you take out of this kind of finale here? Again, the project's finished. We've got everything where it goes. We've consecrated it. We've given the priests their job. We're ready now. And here's how it ends. So. It's reciprocal. Meaning? Meaning that we give to God, God gives to us. Great. So, so A, there's a relationship here, mm-hmm. right? Which, which from the beginning was the point. I mean, the only reason to build this tabernacle was because we wanted God's presence with us, which, again, in the ancient Jewish mindset, God was a physical presence, meaning God could literally be in a spot. Right? The tabernacle was the place that God could come down and exist to dwell among us, which I think for us, you know, it, that... that might not be satisfying or that might go against how we think because by the way if if god's there in the tabernacle is god over there is god in us i mean there's all sorts of ramifications of that um, which i think we have kind of grown from in our understanding but some of this is we want god with us but i think you you know uh, they to differ a little bit in your initial statement that we wanted god there but in the Torah, it says, God said to Moses, build me a tabernacle so I may be amongst you. Great. So, right. so, so what's the... God wanted a place. Not that the men, that people said, we got to build a place for God. So, so what would be the difference? Well, what what's is, the impact of that? It comes from God that he is saying that we, I want this relationship with you. And I want to have a place that's among you, not that you're going to say, well, how could I have a relationship? God's saying, how can I have a relationship with you people if I'm somewhere else, I'm not among you? So the other way is the difference is that the people said, I want God right. to be with me, so I have to build a place for him. So here's why I think that's an interesting comment. And thank you, because that's a good correction. So when I envision this, right, I, I always I think of, you know, we were slaves. We are out in the desert. We already are complaining and a little afraid, and it's a wilderness, right? I mean, there's all this. And I, I think of it as, you know, we, we want God to be with us for protection, for guidance, for all those things. Um, so that, that's what I'm imagining there. But you're right that this project starts with, with God, right? So God wants to be with us. So when I was asking what's the impact of that, I mean, what, what's the difference in terms of how it changes the way we view this? You know, and to me, part of it is saying that maybe in evolution, right? As a religion, as a, as a community, we are growing. And this is still sort of the, the infant phase, maybe the toddler phase, if we're lucky. I mean, this is very early. So maybe we, we didn't know any better yet. Maybe, maybe the people didn't realize what they needed. Maybe they didn't know what their needs were. And God, sort of like a parent, is saying, no, 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 you, you might not realize this, but I, I'm going to be here with you. Right. You, by the way, you know, little my little three-year-old kid. You can't walk down, you know, to the end of the block and across the street. I'm going to walk with you and hold your hand. Maybe that's, you know, I know that's simplistic, but maybe that's part of what's going on here. Is God saying, "Here's how we're going to do this until we kind of figure it out," because right now we don't know what we're doing. All right. I've never thought about this because now I'm actually reading the word. 
it looks like this happened several times because it, it, unless I'm misreading it, um, it says, you know, the, when the cloud lifted, the Israelis would set out on their various journeys. But if the cloud did not lift, they would not set out until such time that it did lift. So to me, it seems like this happened over and over. So, so when we, so when you think of 40 years of wandering in the desert, yeah. how do you picture that? Like, what do you think is happening day to day? Periodically, the leader is saying, well, our cattle or whatever, we're going to move now. Right. For whatever reason. And earlier in, the, in this book, you know, when we first leave Egypt, it says that there's a cloud and a fire. And when the, the, they said, well, where are we going? He said, well, God will tell us where to go. And they have the cloud and the fire is there, not coming from the tabernacle, but, mm-hmm. but, but where the people are. Right. So, so this is reminiscent to me of that situation. Now it's more focused. Right. Instead of just saying, right. well, there's a cloud, there's a, there's a fire, we're going to go towards the fire. Or right. But, but, but the point of it is, it, it isn't wandering in the sense of we're literally, you know, every day walking around or walking in circles. Right? So wandering, I think it's, a, it's an interesting term, but it, it's more camping. Right? I mean, we, we are encamped for some period of time somewhere, and then we move to the next camp and set up camp, and then we're there for a period of time, and then the next. So you're, you're right, Judy. I mean, that, and that's the point of this is to say we aren't leading the journey, so if you, you know, read carefully, what it says is, when the cloud lifted, we knew it was time to, to move on. Right? All right, break camp, we're heading to the next place. Right? When, the, when the cloud didn't lift, right, you get, you know, you're there in the, in the morning, the cloud's still there, okay, you know, we get to stay here another day. And, and, right, so it, it was sort of like the red light, green light almost. Right? That's how we knew it was time to pull up camp and go to the next place. But it was a series of big stops. It wasn't the yeah, constant wandering. Sense, and that's what, that. when I asked it, I, I think most people think of wandering. I mean, that's how I always kind of imagined it, except it really is more encamping at a number of places. Well, they didn't have clocks. So I think that the cloud was guiding them when it's permissible to travel. Otherwise, it is not. And, and, <clears throat> and for who knows what reason. I mean, it I, might be I the... I think that's the, the important thing, the reason. The people want to know, where are you taking us? And Moses' answer is, God is leading us to the promised land, or to the promised event. Which, by the way, you, and, and you mentioned before, like, reminiscing, you know, this reminds you of something. So does that, right, where are we going, God's leading us somewhere, does that remind you of anything? Martin Luther King's speech. Okay, <laughs> always good. But anything else, right, God is leading us somewhere? to a place we do not know. Yeah. Abraham. Right. The beginning of the journey, right. if you remember, is Abraham doesn't know where he's going. God says, you leave home, right? Leave here and go to a place that I will show you. Doesn't know where he's going. And here, yes, we're going to the promised land. They don't know what that means. Certainly the people don't necessarily know. And we don't know, are we going today or tomorrow? Where's the next stop? That they, right? There's this faith element of of trust, right? Where are we going? We're going where God is leading us, which was exactly what Abraham did. And of course, Abraham was also being led to the same place. 
right? It, then it wasn't the promised land per se, but same thing. So I loved, I hadn't thought of that before, but when you said, you know, reminiscent of, that's exactly the same kind of feeling. Where are we going? Yeah. God's taking us to the right place. So in all of this book of Exodus, I mean, and this whole thing with Moses is, he's in, invoking the concept that God is with us, God is showing us the way, if we do what he wants, God wants to be with us. If we don't want to be with him, that's our fault. But God wants to be with us. So God is there if we want to accept him type of concept. So right. I think that... And by the way, could we have... Let's say the cloud's still there. Could we have pulled up stakes sure. and moved? Yes. And, and maybe this gets back again to the conversation about who, who was... Who was leading this? And yes, God, this was God's plan. But I also maybe think that the, for the people, they don't want to be leaving if God isn't going with us. Right. Right? The cloud's there, so okay, here, here's where we're staying for now. Because I think they did realize that they wanted the guide, they wanted the protection. God had done all this for them. So, so somehow we're also making choices. Um, just quickly, one last thing. I think one of the interesting things here is where it says... In verse 35, Moses could not enter the tent of meeting. Sorry, when uh, the cloud covered the tent of meeting, Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it and the presence of the eternal filled the tabernacle. So why couldn't Moses go in? Well, the cloud was still there because God is residing there. And, and therefore? He cannot enter. Because? God is superior to him. Sure. Is he already so, being punished? So... so He's, he's the king, so you, you can't have permission to go there. Okay, but so I, permission is important, absolutely. Um, was he you said, already, so it's interesting. He was already in trouble because well, he the... No, not yet. Th oh. That comes later. Okay. But, it, but it's an interesting one. It, it, forgetting that for a minute, but was it a punishment? Because it, it almost feels that way. I mean, Moses, right? I mean, Moses, who has this relationship with God, what do you mean Moses can't go in? It, 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 it seems a little funny, and I... I don't think there's much commentary about it being a punishment, but there is a lot of commentary that it seems strange. Like, how come Moses, of all people, He's can't... supposed to be more important than anybody else. That's my... I know you like that. Moses can't go in. But Moses was yes. single out to be different than the other people. Right. So, so any other... Why else do you think... Why couldn't Moses go in? So there, there are two kind of classic responses. One of them is there's no room. I, the tent is full. God's in there, which means there's no room for Moses. And again, you might like that or not like it, but it's an interesting idea that where God's presence is, we can't go. And that sort of goes back to creation in a way. Um, I don't know if you've heard this, but there's yeah. this concept of, of contraction. Exactly. So before yeah. creation, God was everywhere, and God had to pull back, if you imagine it. Like, okay, I'm going to make space over here to create the world. Right? But if God was there, you couldn't create the world. So there is this idea of where God is, something else can't be, maybe. The other one is a little more related to the, the other part <coughs> when we're talking about like the Holy of Holies, which is if, if God's in there, it means you, you can't get too close. And even Moses, who did have interactions with God, didn't want to you know, literally be in the midst of God. Right? That maybe would be too dangerous even for Moses. 
So while God was there, even Moses couldn't go in. But somehow, I think which, whichever way you interpret it, um, you know, or give it your own interpretation about you know equality and, and all of us. <coughs> excuse me. Somehow, this is telling us that when God's there, there's something different than other times, right? God's presence makes things different. And I think that's one of the, the underlying messages here is that when God is here, it's not the same as when God isn't there. So whether it's coming from God or coming from us, things change. And that's why this is an important part of the journey. Okay? Um, so now that we have gotten to the end, and I apologize, we have our, um, speaking of all this, we have our Matan Torah this morning, which means we have our fifth graders with us at services. They, they're going to receive their Torah portion for their bar and bat mitzvahs in a couple of years. Um, so it's, you know, it's related to all this. But um, we've gotten to the end of the entire book of Exodus. And the tradition, of course, is that when we finish a book of the Torah, we say these three words that are at the bottom of the page in Hebrew. The words are chazak, chazak, venit, chazek. Just so everyone knows them, chazak, chazak, venit, chazek, which means be strong. It's like a command form. Be strong, be strong, and we will be strengthened. Right? When you are strong, when we each do that, we all together are strengthened. So if we all want to say that together as our like formal closing to the book, chazak, chazak, venit, chazek. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Fantastic conversation. I 